Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening, and we appreciate everyone being with us. I really like the last verse of that song we just sang. I think it's easy for us to think that God has heaven, but the devil has it down here. This is our Father's world. He is in charge, and it helps us to not only sing that, but to remind us of those great things we're doing. For those who are visiting with us, we welcome you, and you might be thinking, this looks kind of odd, and it is a lot, but this is what we do. <laughs> this is what we call a chair series. Um, we have no better name to call it that than just a chair series, because we're sitting in chairs. And what we do is we come up with a theme, and then we spend our time asking each other questions. Now, Jason and I, we kind of manufacture the questions, and we kind of work out who's going to ask what. I don't know how he's going to answer his questions. He doesn't know how I'm going to answer my questions. But in this back and forth format, it allows us to kind of lower the nets and get more depth and, and talk about things that maybe we wouldn't normally cover in a sermon. And so uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback from you through the years as we've done this. We've done this on a lot of different topics. And so the month of August, we want to kind of work through some things together. I began a series this morning about shepherding, and that is an important role in the organization of God's kingdom. And so we want to kind of take off that on Sunday evenings and do what we call shepherd talk. And just by asking some questions about the concept of shepherding and some things that's found therein. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to John 21. We'll be there in just a moment, John 21. This afternoon, the elders and the deacons met and just to talk about life and lots of things that's going on here and i walked away from that meeting just so impressed with the spirit of the deacons here man after man said if there's more i can do let me know let me know if there's anything else i can do just a wonderful wonderful spirit of wanting to serve the kingdom and that's just a powerful powerful thing about that as we talked this morning in our lesson of all the animals in creation I mean, you think about going to the zoo, or you think about going and buying a book about animals. There's all kinds of animals. God describes his people as sheep more than anything else. And as we talked this morning, there's some, there's some reasons for that, some characteristics. But in the last page of John, John chapter 21, we come to this little dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And what we normally pick off on this is how Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And they kind of go back and forth. But there's a little phrase found in all three of these verses I want you to notice. This is important to Jesus. We begin verse 15 of John 21. So then he had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Verse 16. He again said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, there's a play on the words there uh, that we miss in the English language about loving me and not loving me. But what we want to look at today is how important that was to Jesus. Three times he told Peter to take care of the sheep. And that was his function. 
And so that's kind of going to be the backdrop of what we're going to talk about this evening as we look at some things together about this concept of shepherd talk about shepherding. So let's, let's just get to our first... Well, do you have anything you want to say? No, I'm ready okay. to go if okay, you Okay, let's go. Let's, let's go. go. Let's ride that horse. <laughs> okay, question number one. Uh, we often hear about the negative side of leading God's people. And in some places, few want to serve. What is the upside of shepherding the people of God? Why do it? Some people look at this as almost like going into a surgery or doing a hitch in the army. I want to just get out as quick as I Why in the world would anybody with a sane mind want to be a shepherd in God's kingdom? Yeah. Great question. Let's go in our Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 13. I have a feeling we might come to Hebrews 13 a couple of times before we're done this evening. So you might put a little marker there or piece of paper. I love this question because it gets from the very beginning of our discussion, I hope, to the to the real heart of the matter. Uh, in Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer says to all believers, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. I want you to listen carefully to this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and, and forever. You know, you, you took us back to John chapter 21. That was a long time ago. But our King, Jesus, has not changed one ounce in His character, in His expectations. As you were reading His dialogue with John, it just crossed my mind how incredible that the Son of God would willfully leave and entrust the feeding and tending and oversight of his lambs to fallible human beings. But he has done that now for 2,000 years. And he believes that his instructions, his pattern are adequate for every generation in every context. You, you drew our attention to that powerful pattern today. And, and here's one way of looking at it here in Hebrews 13. I want you to listen carefully to what he told disciples. Number one, consider the outcome of the way your leaders are living their lives. If this is true, and we believe that it is, of course... The outcome of a life of faith goes far beyond a hospital, a nursing home, a funeral home, a graveyard. Those are, are temporary stops, right? And life goes on. And there is an outcome to faith. You, you brought up this morning the power of examples. That's what's being highlighted there in the second part of verse 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I think it's really important from the beginning of this discussion to get out. That, that is something all of us as disciples of Jesus not only need to do, but to work and grow and mature toward, right? Parents ought to be able to say to their children, not just with their mouths, but by their manner of life, 
I'm doing my best to walk with Jesus and I want you to follow my lead as I am following Jesus. Bible class teachers need to be able to say, I'm, I'm not here simply to dispense information, but I'm here to help you grow and I want you to imitate my faith as I'm doing my best to walk with Jesus. All of us as disciples, as we go out into the world this week, need to say, not just with our mouths, but by our way of life, I'm doing my best to walk with Jesus and I want you to imitate me. Well, that's, that's what leaders do. And if you'll keep that in the back of your mind, let me show you one other verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. You brought up Jesus and his interaction with Peter there just before his ascension back into heaven. Now, years later, this is what Peter, who received that threefold commission, writes. And I want you to listen to what he says. 1 Peter chapter 5 Roger, you took us to the first few verses of this this morning where he, as an, elo, uh, as an elder, writes to his fellow elders. I want you to notice this evening verse 4 of 1 Peter 5. And when the chief shepherd appears. Not if, but when. In Peter's mind, there is no doubt that Jesus, the Chief Shepherd is going to appear again. And when he does, he says to these elders, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why would anyone want to serve in this capacity? Well, I, I would suggest, based on Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter chapter 5, what could you possibly hear? I mean... Really, I want you to think. What could you possibly hear from the chief shepherd when everything on this earth is done that would be of more value and more significance than well done, you followed my lead, but you didn't only do that. You helped others find me. You demonstrated what the outcome of faith is all about. You were an example of faith. You encouraged people to follow your lead. You weren't perfect, but you were devoted to me. And here you are inheriting an eternal reward. And you have been instrumental in leading other people home for eternity. I don't care what accolades you get in this life. They will never even appear in the same hemisphere as that sort of influence. And, you know, as you say, all Christians who are letting their light shine as we should are leaders. Yes. And that's a little, a little plug here for our uh, upcoming leadership workshop. We want every male member to come. We need to understand that, well, I may never be a shepherd, but you are a leader. And God has you to do these things. And, and I think I'd answer this question, why should somebody do that? Because you're changing lives. Yeah. You're changing family dynamics. You're changing eternity. And you know, a lot of times we hear the sad stories having to deal with divorces and withdrawal and all the ugliness sometimes. But there's a lot of upside. 
And that is when you see people growing and becoming and doing what God wants you to do. And so that's, that's a powerful thing for us to remember. All right, so I took you to Hebrews 13. Let's go back there. Hebrews 13, 17, a little later from where we were, tells disciples to obey their leaders and submit to them. They keep watch over your souls, Hebrews 13, 17 says, as, and this is a sobering phrase, as those who will give an account. So taking that into consideration, to what point are shepherds responsible for someone else's soul? And I think that's is the scariest point about someone wanting to become a shepherd is that, okay, I'm going to be responsible for you. And if you go off the tracks, God's going to say, he went off the tracks, I'm holding you accountable. Let's turn our Bible to the book of Ezekiel, because Ezekiel answers this in three different places. And, and I want us to see this. Ezekiel 32 is where we're going to begin. Excuse me, 33. Ezekiel 33. Then we'll look at 34. And then we'll go back a little bit earlier in Ezekiel. But, but it's a great question. And, and really it's a question that we can even ask in the homes. To what degree is mom and dad responsible when their teenager goes off the rails and does something wrong? So over here in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 32, he begins in verse 2 by talking about, the, he tells us this story. He says, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people, and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him a watchman. He sees a sword coming upon the land, and blows a trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet, and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes, away, takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but not, did not take warning. His blood shall be on himself. But he had not taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees a sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes the people from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from them the watchman's hand. So why is he illustrating this passage here is of the old watchman. He's standing up on the towers. His job is to look off in the distance. He sees dust coming. He sees that the whole army coming. And he says, well, look at that. Here they come. And he leaves his post and does nothing. And the city's overtaken. The watchman is responsible. But he sees that coming. He realizes it's coming troops. He blows his horn. Just as in our days today, we hear of a tornado siren. And we get on the TV, and it's going to come into this community at this hour. Every year that happens, some guy goes outside with his camera, I want to take a picture of the tornado. Half the time, they're blown away. They did not heed the warning. Who's responsible? Not the watchman. He did his job. Now, the next chapter, chapter 34, verse 4. Now, you'll notice as this chapter begins... He says in verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Verse 4, those who, you, those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity, you've dominated them. What he's saying is, shepherds, you did not do your job. You are responsible. We understand that as a parent. If I don't give my kids the right kind of food, 
Who's, who's to blame? The parent. If I don't give my kid the right health and, and all the things that he needs, who's responsible? The parent. But if you do everything that you're supposed to do, and they still make bad choices, that's not upon you. Third place now, Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. And here in Ezekiel 18, it goes through a series of three generations. And you'll notice this in verse 5. talks about a man. Then in verse 10, he has a son. Verse 14, that son has a son. And it goes through all these different scenarios. He says in verse 20 of Ezekiel 18, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. So to what extent are the shepherds responsible for you? They're responsible for watching over you, for feeding you, for warning you. But if you decide to say, you know what? I'm still going to do bad. I'm still going to choose what's wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do. You will lose your soul. Now, if the shepherds don't do anything, they say, well, just feed yourself, take care of yourself, no warnings, do whatever you want to do, and you lose your soul. God's going to point to the shepherd and say, why didn't you blow the trumpet? Why didn't you help the people? And so that's the extent that they are responsible as we think about that. Now, next question. There are some misconceptions that people have about shepherds that are simply not true. What would be some of them? I'm just going to list some. I mean, we, we could most certainly add to this list. But if you open your Bibles back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, let me just reach back to Timothy and, and briefly to Titus just uh, to illustrate what we're talking about. Misconceptions. I'd say, first of all, that these are, are sinlessly perfect men. And that, in one sense, I mean, sounds like we shouldn't even have to say that. But there are some, I'm afraid, who have that conception in their mind. These are men who never have, never do, never will make any mistakes. And that is not in these paragraphs that the Holy Spirit gives the Apostle Paul. He, he does need to be someone who is mature... You highlighted that this morning from 1 Timothy 3. You can see verse 6, for instance. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, over in Titus chapter 1, you look down at verse 9. He, he does need to be a man that is able... In a variety of ways, Titus chapter 1 verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, as, as you've just brought up, to rebuke those who, who contradict it. We read 1 Timothy 3, we read Titus chapter 1. This is a, a man that needs to be stable in his own walk with the Lord, in his family life. There are, are certainly details there. But he is not sinlessly perfect. He is human. He is fallible. And maybe the best way to illustrate that is we've talked about Peter a couple of times. Peter served the Lord's church as an elder and most certainly was 
a fallible person. And so, sinless perfection. It's a misconception. Perfect families. It's a misconception. He, he doesn't have a perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage because marriages are made up of human beings. He, he does not have perfect children. He is not an expert in everything. I, I have been encouraged to watch our own shepherds and shepherds in, in various places. Um, they're not expert epidemiologists and so they'll talk to people with medical backgrounds and ask about what is going on in the world they're they're not trained psychiatrists or psychologists and so they they don't hesitate to recommend trusted resources they're they're not experts in everything but neither are they compassionless cold just decision makers you know give, give us a list of all the decisions that have to be made this week and yes no yes no yes no i wish at times people could see the tears that are shed by elders deacons evangelists i i wish they could see the heartache and the heartbreak but also the the thrills of joy this is people work right it is not simply de decision making work um, they're not the complaint receiving committee and i'd really encourage all of us to to think about that uh, we've been doing a lot of reading in those first few books of the Bible, and there's a whole lot of people that got in a whole lot of trouble for a whole lot of murmuring and complaining. And so, certainly, as there are frustrations, voice those in truth and in love. But if I could just, I mean, throw out there for, for every complaint or frustration, Make sure you encourage these men more than, than you express frustrations. Um, I, I could go on. What would you add to this? Well, uh, you know, shepherds wear two hats. They're a shepherd, but they're also still sheep. Yeah. And sometimes we have expectations that are unrealistic. Mm -hmm. We expect them to know every question, be able to answer every question about the Bible. They're studying like you're studying. Yeah. Uh, I think we expect them to be, as you said, um, always, always in a great mood, always perfect, always right there. Uh, are you? The answer is no. The answer is no. Yeah. And, and so we, we forget about that, that, that they are one of us. And that's why I try to illustrate with that biblical pattern today. They're not above us. That's the old-fashioned model. They are one of us. And it helps us to remember that. I look at my own life. Do I have every answer? No. Am I all together? No. Do I got everything all figured out? No. But so are the shepherds. Yeah. And so that will help us, I think, as we kind of remember that. I, I will say, I have never been a part of a church family where I get such consistent encouragement from you. And I want you to hear loud and clear. That, that means more to me than just about anything. Could I just 
encourage you to make sure, just as much as you are an encouragement to me or Roger, make sure you're encouraging the men who serve in this capacity. So, in most places, we hear elder as probably the most common term. I noticed five years ago when I moved here, and I'm sure there are many who have noticed, that within the context of our church family, we use shepherd more often. You, you had a variety of words up on the, the PowerPoint today. Right. Why is this the word we hear most often in this church family? You know, it, it, we try to develop a culture, and that's a culture we wanted. We could use the word bishop all the time, but that, that sounds almost like a hierarchy. We could use the word elder like that is used in most congregations. But shepherding reminds us of what the work really is. Uh, that's what they do. They shepherd. They're among the sheep. That's us. And it reminds us, as we use that term over and over, that they're not running this church. They're not the CEOs of this church, but they're right in front of us, and we are to follow them. And so... We, it's a biblical concept, and I think, I think by just saying that over and over and over, it, it reminds us of our obligation, their obligation, what we're in, all this together, and that is to be leading people to heaven. Yeah. And that's, that's what we see with that. It is not an honorary position. It is a work, and shepherd <laughs> highlights that work. Absolutely. So next question. In Acts 14.23, elders were appointed in every church. Titus was to appoint elders in every city, Titus 1, verse 5. Have we made it nearly impossible in these days today for someone to become a shepherd? I, more than any other of these questions, I think this was the one that I, I thought about the most. If you'll open your Bibles with me back to Ephesians 4, where I landed in, in having a little bit of time to think about this question was, okay, for what am I aiming? And, and I would encourage you to make that question very personal. It's, it's not for what are we aiming. There's a little bit of a different way to answer that. But me, as a, a disciple of Jesus and as a member of this church family, for what am I aiming? And for the sake of time, I just want to jump into verse 15 of Ephesians 4, where Paul says, verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We ought all, as members of this body, to be aiming for, serving as a well-equipped joint in this body and doing everything we can to build things up. And that starts with our mouths, right? We heard that in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. I, I'm guessing you have stories, I have stories that I could share where, tragically, when it comes time to appoint elders in a local church, it seems like some brothers and sisters forget that aim, and they pivot more into, 
well, I have to find something wrong. I, I have to find something that disqualifies this person. Now, if you are aware of some issue that 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you, you briefly referenced them, you're going to be referencing them more this month, that is clearly out of bounds, out of step with the gospel, well, that, that needs to be talked about. But again, the goal is for the building up of the body. And so, if there is something that needs to be said, it ought to be said in a way that builds up, right? I, I, I saw this person when he was 25 years old lose his cool as he was trying to buckle his three-year-old into a, a, a car seat in, in the, the back of the minivan. Okay, well, certainly the story of this man, like the story of every disciple of Jesus, is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. There is this transformation that ought to happen in the life of every disciple of Jesus, right? If there was some issue between me and that brother in Christ, have I listened to Jesus in Matthew 18 and, and tried to talk to that brother? If there's some deep-seated feud between the two of us, well, am I bringing that up now as a way of just tearing down this brother, or is my aim... For the building up of the body of Christ. If there's something in his life that's not right, and you know about it, why have you waited all this long until his name was offered up to be an elder? Yeah. If you know something's not right, you may keep him out of heaven. Aren't you the watchman, and you see the troops coming, but you're not blowing the horn. You wait for his name to be put up, then you start saying things. Well, what if his name was never put up to be an elder? Would you remain silent and let this brother die in his sins if you know something but isn't that the culture we live in somebody who's going to run for politics and somebody says well you wrote in the text 25 years or you wrote an email long back when you were in college you said and if we go back to that a lot of us would just be hung wouldn't we yeah. i mean a lot of us have changed such were some of you that's it that's yeah. it exactly yeah all right so much more that could be said about that we might circle back in various ways is it the job of the shepherds to fix every problem in my life? Yes. <laughs> you want me to hit the button and move Let's go. on? Let's go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? It is not. It is not. There'll be some problems in your life that they don't even know about because you've kept it silent. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Their job is to point you to Jesus. Jesus is the fixer, not the shepherds. Jesus is the fixer, not the church. And so, will they fix every problem in my life? Well, no. And a lot of it is up to me to fix. And they will show me the tools. They'll show me that example. But if, if I am content to spend more money than I bring in, and they say, you know, you're not on a good track here, friend. This, this is not going to work out well for you. And I ignore the blowing of that trumpet, uh, I'm going to be in trouble, won't I? 
If I keep missing services on a consistent basis, and they say, you know, that's going to head for trouble, and I don't heed the warning on the wall, uh, that's not going to work out. So I'm responsible for my choices. I can listen to wise wisdom. I can listen to the verses, but they're not going to fix every problem in my life. Now, sometimes people get upset, and sometimes people leave. I had a teenage daughter, somebody would say, and this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. I blame the elders. Well, no. I'm sure they were blowing trumpets, but maybe you didn't listen. Maybe she didn't listen. They can't fix every problem. And they cannot read your mind. That's right. They, they don't have listening devices in your home. And some of the most frustrating situations at least that I've been a part of, and I, I've got to believe that a, a group of shepherds would experience is things have been boiling and boiling and boiling at home for months, maybe years, and I've done a really good job of keeping a mask on and acting like everything is okay when everything is burning around uh, all around me, and then, you know, at the 11th and a half hour, I reach out and I'm, I'm frustrated that no one can fix this. Well, they're not mind readers. They're, they, they're not aware of things by and large that we do not share. This gets to that building connections with one another that is so very important. We, we've used this expression before. You can't wait until your boat's going over the waterfalls to pray for some oars. I should have been praying for that upstream. And sometimes we wait until somebody's gone to the attorney to file for a divorce and say, save my marriage. Well, that should have been done upstream. We wait till somebody's been arrested for drugs and save them. Well, where were you upstream? And, and there comes a time when maybe our pride keeps us from being open and transparent. But that's something that needs to be done. Okay, question number seven. I'm, I'm glad you got this question. I just, didn't, I just did not want to answer this question, but I thought it was an important question. In Acts 2.41, tells us that 3,000 were baptized on Pentecost. A couple chapters later, Acts 4.4, the number of men came to be 5,000. Now, as far as we know, they did not have shepherds at this moment. How did 12 apostles take care of that many people? Yeah. Well, quickly, I mean, we could read the book of Acts and highlight several things. But quickly, I want you to notice with me Acts 6, verse 1. We begin to get a sense, obviously, of the, the logistical challenges of a, a group of that many people. In Acts 6, 1, in these days, Luke tells us, when the disciples were increasing even beyond now 5,000, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. It's important for us to realize in these early chapters of Acts that there is this evolution going on in the life of this infant church, right? But it is significant to me that they do not say, well, okay, we're too big here in Jerusalem, and so all of you who are walking from, you know, five miles east of here need to start a church over there. It's not that, well, 
the numbers are too big and so we've, we've got to lose some people, it's, okay, these are the challenges. We need servants to take care of this sort of very real need. It ought not to be neglected and there are men who step up and begin to fill that role and as you read in acts as the gospel spreads and as families of disciples begin being established all over the place that evolution moves from jesus 12 apostles elders and deacons in every local church as you highlighted from philippians 1 this morning that's it all right. As a member of this church, what can I do to help our shepherds in their work? And I think this is a great question for us to be where we're at right now. Uh, let, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, let's focus on 13 and 14. This, you remember, is the story of Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. We read a portion of that this morning. But I want you to notice 13 and 14. He makes, a, he makes a contrast between the hireling and the good shepherd. And he says in verse 13, uh, as he talks about in verse 12, the wolf comes and snatches them and scatters the sheep away. The hireling, he says in verse 13, flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Now, now, there's two central thoughts I want you to see there. First of all, the hireling doesn't care. That's why he leaves. He's more about, care about saving his own skin. So what happens to them, I don't care. I'm just going to do what is going to save my own neck. That's not Jesus. But in verse 14, we make this contrast. I know them, and they know me. And one of the things that people say sometimes is, the shepherds don't know me. But what I see in verse 14 is a two-way street. The shepherd knows, and the sheep know. And there's that open, transparent relationship. And so, so this is how it goes. One of the shepherds would say to you, you know, I really don't know you well. I'd like to come to your house, spend one evening with you and your wife, and, and, and just get to know you. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're not coming to my house. Well, how about we go out and do lunch? Oh, no. We're not going to do that. Well, how about you come over to our house? Oh, no, we're not going to do that. And then that very same person would say, the shepherds don't know me. Well, it's a two-way street, isn't it? And so as they want to get to know you and how they can help you and what your needs are, you've got to be open. And a lot of us are very vague. A lot of us like to put that cloud around us or we're not transparent. How are you? Fine. How's things at home? Good. Anything I can do to help you? Nope. What can we do? Can I come over and see you? No. Can I call you? No. No. The shepherds sure don't know me. Well, yeah, they don't because maybe it's a two-way street. And so what can you do for the shepherds here? Well, one thing you can do is pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us by name. Pray for us that we'll stay in step with Jesus. Pray for us that we keep you before us in all things that we do, and we'll be helpful with that. You can encourage us. Uh, sometimes the negative does rise to the top, and you can encourage us. You can do your part. Sometimes it's easier for us to think, okay, we got this big boat here. It's like a cruise boat, and we're hitting on all cylinders. We've got preachers. We've got elders. We've got deacons. So I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. 
teach me, lead me, guide me, preach to me, and I'm not going to do a thing. Well, that's, you're not going to find a verse that says that. You're not going to find a verse that supports that. What you're going to find out is, here am I, send me. What can I do? And so in your network, in your connections, as you should have, you may know about something that maybe the shepherds don't know. As Jason said, we don't have a red phone that we know everybody. And we don't, we, we don't have a phone where we can read everybody's mind. You know, Jesus was the good shepherd, and he could read minds. Sometimes in the Bible it says, he knew what they were thinking. Well, your shepherds don't do that. They don't know what you're thinking. They don't know what you're going through. And so if you see things that we need to know about, be transparent. Let us work together as a team rather than opposites. And in a lot of places, what we see is kind of this pulling apart from each other. Well, the shepherds aren't doing anything over here, and maybe the shepherds didn't know about it, and you did. Maybe you could have communicated that and helped them. So those are some simple things you can do. Let's be together. Let's be a family. Let's be what God wants us to be. And when we work together, all realizing that we want everybody to go to heaven. We want to help you. You help us. We're all in this together. It will be wonderful. But when we start taking sides and pulling apart from each other, things kind of go south sometimes. Okay, anything you add? My last question here, and then one more for you. Okay, what qualities make a good leader? That is a big question. Yes. <laughs> so I jotted down three sub-questions, hopefully just to get us thinking. Well, who is he leading? And if he is leading disciples of Jesus, the way that we're talking about, then he needs to be an all-in disciple. He, he needs to love the Lord with all of his heart all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. Number two, where is he leading these people? And if it's bigger than, you know, uh, 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 a science degree or to uh, a certain amount of money or a certain kind of retirement or, or, or something like that, if he is leading image bearers of God away from hell and to heaven then he needs to think about heaven a lot. His mind needs to be set on things above. He needs to live first and foremost as a citizen of heaven. And the third thing that I jotted down was, well, where is he being fueled up? Where, where, where has he learned to lead? And it is so much more significant than... John Maxwell, or, you know, you, you insert your favorite leadership guru here. It's not that we can't learn things from, from those people, but this man needs to know Jesus. He needs to know Jesus' voice. And I haven't said a word about how eloquent he is or what sort of house he lives in or what sort of car he drives or, you know, you, you, you fill in whatever blank you want. To f nothing about the color of his skin or where he grew up or any of those things. It's, well, is he leading disciples? Is he leading them to heaven? Is he following the lead of the chief shepherd? And if, if that's him, he's going to be a good leader of God's people. That's it. That's it.
Last question. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that the elders of the church in Ephesus, that the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. What does that mean? Yeah, the, the verse says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is not something mysterious. This is not something beyond the pages of the Bible. It's not like God just picked this guy up, and now you are going to be a shepherd. Uh, it comes about when a person follows the Bible. That's how we are made a shepherd or an elder by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit saves us today. It's not something mysterious. It's not a feeling. It's not something you know, extra outside things. It's through following the Word of God. The Word of God came about by the Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, when we follow what the Bible teaches, then we are made the way God wants us to be. God makes only one thing, and that's New Testament Christians. There's not a choice of types of Christians. What kind of Christian do you want to be? There's only one kind, and that's a disciple of Jesus. That comes about when we follow the Holy Spirit as given to us in the Word of God. All right. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We appreciate you thinking through those questions with us. As Roger mentioned, we want to use Sunday evenings here in the month of August just to allow what we're hearing on Sunday morning in, in sermons to, to sink deeply into our hearts. And I, I'd love just to read with you the first seven verses of 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Who do you see in those seven verses? I had been preaching and teaching for a really long time before I saw everybody in those seven verses. I mean, I, I see this overseer, and I see his children, and I see those outside of the body of Christ. And for a very long time, that was all I see, all I saw. But there is someone else there, mentioned twice. And that is the devil. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. This overseer must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then in the very next verse, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. 
into a snare of the devil. Why did the Holy Spirit of God lead the Apostle Paul to mention the devil twice in talking about this role of service? Well, I I think it goes back to the very first question. This is people work, helping people get to heaven. And what does the devil not want more than anything for you to get to heaven? The devil lies under condemnation. You heard that in verse 6. Human beings can slip and fall into the condemnation that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. But the devil is mentioned twice here because he loves to stalk and devour people. And if he can stalk and devour leaders, he is well on his way to wreaking havoc. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a slanderer. He is a stalker. He is a destroyer. He is a devourer. He is on his way to hell and trying to drag as many people created in the image of God with him possible. God's church needs leaders to sound the warning, to to feed, to watch over. But as Roger mentioned in his invitation this morning, ultimately, this lands at my front door, this lands at at your front door. There is no one who can keep you out of hell if you are determined to live like a child of the devil. But by God's grace, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. You can escape those snares. You can be liberated by the chief shepherd. You can be washed in the blood of God's lamb. You can be a part of his kingdom, his household. You can be supported by brothers and sisters in Christ who are heaven bound. You you can be led and nurtured and fed by men who want you to get to heaven more than anything else. And maybe this evening that starts in your life by recognizing that the devil is real. Sin is serious. But that doesn't have to be your story. We reference so much from Acts. When people asked in Acts chapter 2, well, how do I get in on that? They were told that they had to turn from sin and be buried with Jesus in baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. Nothing makes the devil more angry But nothing sets off a celebration in heaven more than when a sinner repents and comes home. So if that's you this evening and you need to respond, not to my invitation, not to the shepherd's invitation, but to the Lord's invitation, and we can somehow help, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing